Well, if you've got a copy of God's Word, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to read this morning, starting in verse 9, and read through verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I need to take you back about 30 years. I've just finished college and decided that it would be a great adventure for me to do a two-week solo backpacking trip. Uh, there's a, a trail in northwest Arkansas called the Ozark Highlands Trail. And so I got all my gear together, I had a roommate drop me off, and I began a two-week solo backpacking trip. Now on a side note, I'm way too extroverted and it was terrible, I should have never done that, I wanted to be around people. But nonetheless, I started out with clean clothes and a washed body myself. But quickly, as I began to ascend the first incline and my body began to sweat, that began to change. And um, by day two, uh, I smelled myself and I stunk. But an amazing thing happened. By about day four, five, six, I didn't smell myself anymore. I thought I smelled fine. See, the reality is, is I had acclimated to my stench. We all acclimate to our surroundings. On that trip, I would take simply a bandana and wet it and kind of wipe my body down a little bit, and I felt so fresh and clean. But it was not until I actually finished the uh, trail and my roommate picked me up and I saw in his facial expression just how ripe I really smelled. See, we acclimate to our stench. Now, in a very similar fashion, Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church. He's writing a letter to men and women who had professed faith in Christ. He's writing to Corinthian Christians, but he's been, he, he has to address in this letter sinful practices within the church. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Flip back to uh, chapter three of 1 Corinthians and look at verse one. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? 
Then over in verse 18 of chapter 3, look at what he says. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Chapter 4, look at verse 14. Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many of fathers. And then look at chapter 5. <coughs> Excuse me. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And then we find in chapter 6, where our text is this morning, look at what he's dealing with at the beginning of chapter 6. Look at verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Paul's addressing the fact that these different believers in the church, when they had a disagreement, they were going to the secular judges. They were suing each other in uh, the public arena. And so Paul is concerned. He's addressing Christians who had acclimated to their culture and were justifying sinful practices. They had lost a sense or a smell of their stink. And they were thinking they were righteous and fine to go about engaged in all manners of sinful practices. So Paul, at this point in our text this morning, he's challenging them to remember who they are in Christ and act like they, who, who they are radically changed people. So what I want to do this morning is, is tease out of the text three things concerning this radical change. They're radically changed from what? They're radically changed how? And then they're radically changed by whom? So let's dig into that this morning. So the first thing, the first question we have is, what were the Corinthian Christians radically changed from? Look at our text again this morning. Look in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, unrighteous is the idea of that which is wrong, that which is unjust, that which is sinful. Unrighteous is those behaviors, that thinking that is contrary to what is right. God himself is righteous. God himself defines exactly in life what is righteous. And so unrighteous would be the idea of living in a manner that is contrary to God. It's living in a, man, in, in a manner that's contrary to what God has declared righteous. So he goes on and identifies that the unrighteous, those who live contrary to God, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, the idea of inherit is uh, to receive or take part in. So the unrighteous 
will not receive, they will not take part in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is that place, that arena where God reigns, where God rules, where God is. Paul, in this language of the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, he's reminding the believer, the, the Corinthian believers of a biblical principle. It's a biblical principle that we actually find all the way back at the very beginning in Genesis. The result of sin is death. He's reminding these Corinthian believers that ongoing unrepentant sin leads to death. Death meaning separation from God. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, then we find uh, that Paul further elaborates on this concept of unrighteous with a list of sinful behaviors. Look back at our text, look at verse nine and 10. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now this list that Paul makes here, he's not making an exhaustive list. He's not saying these are the only unrighteous behaviors. Rather, he's making an illustrative list. Um, he's He's giving examples of what God has deemed to be unrighteous. Paul is demonstrating how sinful the Corinthian Christians are. He's trying to help the Corinthians uh, recognize their sin because they've been justifying their sin and thinking that their sinful behavior was acceptable to God. They have deceived themselves. See, the mark of a Christian is a recognition of their sin. Jesus put it this way, blessed are the poor in spirit. A true Christian will understand that they are poor in spirit, that they lack what is necessary to, to participate in the spiritual realm. A true Christian will recognize and see their sin. They will not be perfect, but they will always have a recognition, this is sinful. And they will in, in, in continuation be living a life of repentance. Paul is concerned here that these Corinthian Christians were not recognizing their sin. They were not orchestrating a life of repentance. Rather, they were living a life of justified sin. Yes, I'm a Christian, I'm fine. No, there's no problem with me engaging in sinful behavior. It's okay. Let me, let me try and illustrate this. Uh, there's a parable in Luke chapter 18. Turn there and look at this. In Luke 18, Jesus uh, references two different people and look at the contrast here. Luke 18, begin reading in verse nine with me. 
He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted." The Corinthians had originally recognized their sin and their need for salvation from God's wrath. But now, they apparently were justifying their sin and were blatantly behaving sinfully while thinking they were righteous. There is a danger that exists. Thinking that I am right with God, that I am a Christian, but all the while justifying sin instead of repenting from sin. We must be people that never lose sight of our poverty of spirit and so our need for God's grace. Have you justified unrighteousness like the Corinthians? Is there sin that instead of repenting from, that you are playing with? Paul is reminding these believers that they had been radically changed from being unrighteous, from being sinners, and calling them, don't go back to justifying sin and engaging with sin. Now, secondly, we saw that they have been radically changed from being sinners. So how have the Corinthian Christians been radically changed? Well, again, let's look at our text. Look in verse 11. Paul continues. He's just told them, don't be be deceived. Here's all these different examples of sins. And then he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, if you're an Amazing Graceland kid here, those are the three words I want you to make sure you listen for and ask your parents about. The English doesn't actually get some of the emphasis that's there in the Greek. You find this beautiful contrasting word, but. Paul identifies, but such were some of you, but you were washed. And then in the Greek, the but's not just there one time. That contrasting word is there three times. It's emphasized. So it really would be 
but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. Now, all three of these terms are are pointing to the work of salvation, but they're looking at different facets of that one work. So this concept of washed, what is Paul reminding them of? What is he reminding us of? Well, washing is the idea of going from being dirty, being covered in dirt, being um, uh, uh, contaminated, to all of a sudden being clean, being fresh. You think about it on a wonderful summer day, getting to play outside all day long and be in the dirt and be outdoors and be everywhere. Well, you're covered in dirt. That's who we were. All the sin had completely dirtied us before a holy God. And he washed us. And all of a sudden now we're clean and fresh. That's that concept of washing, that which is dirty made clean. But then we have this this other phrase, this idea of sanctified. But you were sanctified. Something that is sanctified has been set apart. It's been uh, dedicated to God. The scriptures will oftentimes uh, use an image of a, a vessel, a plate used for dishonorable things versus a plate, a vessel that is used for honorable things. When I sanctify a vessel, I set it aside for special things, for dedication to God. It's, it's made holy and it's purified. Well, that's what's being meant by this idea of sanctified. Believers have been set aside. They've been dedicated to God. That's that idea of, but you were sanctified. And then the third one is justified. Here is this picture of a legal declaration. A judge has a guilty man before him. But that guilty man's debt has been paid by another. And so the judge with all authority declares you were guilty, but now you are justified. You owe nothing. You are free to leave. That's what, that's what has radically changed believers. They've been washed. They've been sanctified. They've been justified. There's a story in the Gospel of Mark. There's a demon-possessed man. He was the one that was possessed by legion, multiple demons. And it's interesting the contrast that is, that is seen in that story. At the beginning, that, that, that demon-possessed man was a wild, unhuman individual. He was chained and he was always breaking chains. He was screaming and crying out and he was cutting on himself. He would never stay clothed and and people were terrified of him. But then he comes into contact with Jesus and Jesus casts the demons away. That's when they cast him into a herd of pigs and it's fascinating how he's described after that. 
he's clothed in his right mind. What are they meaning by that? He's, he's no longer screaming and terrifying people, but he's calm and human again. And he's able to relate with those around him. That is a contrast of, of what's happened. Jesus has encountered sinners and they end up washed, sanctified, justified. My brother and my sister in Christ, you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified. So believe it. Act like it. Own it. You are a new creature in Christ. Stop holding on to shame and guilt. His blood has paid for it all. Stop holding on to sin. You're no longer enslaved to sin. You can now live a life of righteousness before your maker who has washed you and sanctified you and justified you. So fight sin as a free man. You're not a, a, a man slave, in, enslaved to sin. You've been freed from enslavement to sin. So fight sin like a free man. Boldly approach the throne of God. He instructs us to do that in the book of Hebrews. In the name of Jesus, by the finished work of Jesus, we have access to his throne do you run to his throne? Confess your sin and be forgiven. He instructs us to do that, does he not? Live as a washed, sanctified, justified person. Now lastly, the question I want to present is who has radically changed these Corinthian believers. Again, look back at verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We find it is the work of Jesus Christ that provides the grounds for our radical change. And it is the Spirit of God that applies these grounds to us. Jesus dies the death that we should have died. The Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts and allows us to believe in what Christ has done. And we respond in faith. That's, that's who has brought about this radical change in these believers. Turn to the book of Acts really quickly. Let me illustrate this for you. Look at Acts chapter nine. This is, this is the conversion of Saul, the conversion of Paul. Look at this contrast that happens here. Look in chapter nine of Acts in verse one. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus 
so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. We know what happened to Paul. He was a terrorist, terrorizing people before. He has an encounter with Jesus and now all of a sudden he's a radically different person. And he goes and proclaims the gospel boldly and winsomely all over. We owe all of our salvation to Jesus Christ. He lived the life we were expected to live. He died in our place and he has freed us from bondage to sin. So let us continually live a life of repentance. Let us not justify sin, but let us live as redeemed men and women. Let us be who Jesus has saved us to be. Now this morning, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, if you are someone who has been washed and sanctified and justified, if you are trusting in Christ alone and in his finished work to provide for your salvation, then I charge you, live that out. Be who you are. Do not play with sin. But if you're here this morning or if you're worshiping online, if you are trusting in your own ability to make you righteous, if you are making your own definition of righteousness, then I plead with you, abandon your own efforts at salvation and accept Christ's work on your behalf. Trust in his righteous life and death on the cross to atone for all your sins. Father, we bow before you expressing gratitude for the fact that you have washed us, that you have sanctified us, that you have justified us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. I do pray, Father, for any believer here today that that has been justifying sin, that you would give them the grace of conviction and bring them to repentance against that sin. Father, for those that, that are here that are not trusting you for salvation, would you open their eyes, open their ears, and bring them to saving faith? We ask all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.